0: Welcome to part two of the End of Year special. I'm your host Ben. In part two, we hear from Katya Nyosenko, Daniel Davis Wood, Ian Smith, Ali Miller, A.D. Maricini, Mark A. Henry, and Peter Orner. First guest tonight is Katya from the UK.
1: Hello, Ben. Hello, all listeners to this wonderful podcast. My name is Katya. I'm from London. I've been invited by Ben to participate in this year-end show. Um, I want to start with a few titles in Ukrainian I've read this year, um, which were wonderful highlights. The first one is "Neprosti" by Taras Prohaska. It has been written in the 90s and it seems to be the cult classic in Ukraine, many compared to 100 Years of Solitude, but for me it is more a postmodern type of novel than a magical realism. In its unique way, it tackles the birth of myths and the limitations of language. It might be finally getting published this year in translation by wonderful William Blacker by Harvard University Press, and I believe it will be titled The Earth Gods. Next, Shadow of Forgotten Ancestors by Mikhail Kotsubinsky, a wonderful, heartbreaking novella by the classic of Ukrainian literature. It has been translated and there is a well-known movie, a classic in its own right by Sergei Parajanov, uh, which movie has been made in 1965. It is available on YouTube and I believe it has got English subtitles. Now moving on to the books I've read in English, which leave a big impression on me. Starting with, no surprise here, Stream System, the collected short stories by Gerald Murnane. Uh, It was a read, but I guess you could read him as many times as one wish always finds something new. He has developed a uniquely fascinating ontological system of the world in his prose. And he, by this, making his reader to participate in this system wonderful stuff. Next, the Bodle Fractal by Lisa Robertson, an intellectual Custel Roman combined with flaneur tradition with a young woman protagonist living in Paris and Charles Baudelaire in its core. Great work, which prompted me to, re- to read Paris Spleen by Charles Baudelaire in translation by Louis Varese, famously described by its author, a little work of which no one can say without doing it an injustice, that it has neither head nor tail. You cannot find better description than that. That was followed by Surrealist classic Nadja by Andrea Breton. For me, it was the earliest example of the quality autofiction I've come across. And the timely prompt to read A man In Typewriter by Richard Milward, a novel just published this year with the fireworks of verbal dexterity of the adapted Polari language and the most memorable, sparkling and outrageous, surreal, loving and sinister main character. It was logically prompted by Pale Fire, paired, sorry, with Pale Fire by Vladimir Nabokov, which was a read, still a masterpiece. And it was interesting to see the echo of these classics in Milward work. Novels by Cesar Ira was a discovery for me this year. His unique writing procedure that he calls a flight forward, not unlike automatic writing by the surrealist, consistently delivers brilliant results for him. In his novels, he does not seem to repeat himself at all in spite of being a prolific writer. And I was immediately hooked. I've read six of his short novels back to back and was hungry for more, For more, still hungry, probably would continue with him this year. Birthday and an episode in the life of the landscape painter were the most memorable of these six which I've read. Ava by Carol Mussel, the best fragmentary novel I've read this year. A Room by... Yuval Shimony, a discovery of this year, another one for me, stylistically brilliant and deeply philosophical novel. I can talk about it for ages, but his ability to switch a voice and perspective in the mid sentence and his ethic and aesthetic vision need to be mentioned straight away. The Vivisector by Patrick White, another classic, impressive novel exploring the mystery about creation, among other things. White writes as if he would paint. The Melancholy of Resistance by Laszlo Krasna Horkai, Another stylistic and philosophic masterpiece. I preferred it actually to Santa Tanga, his first book in this quartet over novels. And this one is about the dark side of human nature, but I find it also darkly and irresistibly funny. Dostoevsky Devil seems to be a big influence on this particular novel, but krasno writes much better sentences, as far as i concerned. Thomas Neverson by Javier Mar- Marias, translated by Margaret Jola Costa. I've read all his novels, and it's, it is such a shame that it was his last one. He will be greatly missed. And from the recently published ones, my highlight is Austral by Carlos Fonseca. It's in translation by Megan McDowell. It was the most stylistically accomplished novel I've read from the recent crop of the, of, of, of the authors, full of complex ideas, puzzling, beautifully intertextual, but also it is deeply moving, elegiac, very human uh, work. I also read a lot of Assess this year and Walter Benjamin and Simone Weil vale were the most touching, cryptic, beautiful and expressive from the ones uh, worth mentioning. Reading plans, they change every day for me, but I just mentioned a few titles to be published or maybe recently published. Shimmering Details by Peter Nadesh his memo, I've read his novels and assess, and I really look forward to Shimmering details. Dictatus Logicus, a new translation by Alexander Boos, who is a poet, not philosopher, and this should be an interesting take on Wittgenstein masterpiece. Though I found out that there is another translation by Damien Sorel, which is will be published. So this kind of separate from philosophical perspective, perspective from the literature side would be interesting take. The Salt Lane by Yuval Shimini That was, I was happy to get my hands on this book, thanks to exactly this podcast and Ben, really looking forward to continue my um, journey with this wonderful author. And the last I want to mention is A uh, Thousand Thoughts in Flight by Maria Gabriela Lansol, a very enigmatic hermetic Portuguese writer, even more so than Clarice Respecta. I've read her Geography of Rebels, was very intrigued and uh, want to read this new book, very much look forward to it. This book, I believe is uh, it's her diaries. That's it from me for now. Thank you very much for listening. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy reading. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Katya. And don't forget to follow Ekaterina Nosenko on Twitter. Next up, we head over to Scotland and speak to Daniel Davis-Wood. A very, very warm Happy New Year and Merry Christmas to Daniel Davis-Wood all the way from Scotland.
2: How are you? I'm good, Ben. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas or the other way around to you too. Um, it feels like it today. We've had our first snow today, about a half inch, and so lots of snowballs and very cold, minus three. It's really nice and Christmassy.
0: That's awesome. And you told me you've got your daughter's like Christmas market on tonight as well.
2: The Christmas market's on tonight. The Christmas play is on next week. Uh, there's just yeah, so much Christmas stuff going on and Santa hats and all the rest of it. So yeah, it's definitely gearing up. Awesome. I feel like every year I, I, I max out with Christmas cheer on about December 20. And the last week <laughs> is like a slog for me. And I wonder why. Uh, it's probably because here we are in November. And <laughs> it's like, this is when it's all getting going.
0: I know. Yeah. It's all Christmas stuff from now for the next month. So yeah. Yeah. Get used to it. Get sick of it. And then it's over. Yep. Cool. Um, I want to ask you about Splice because this year obviously was a bit of a quieter year for Splice. And I know next year, though, you've got some really exciting things coming. So how's Splice going?
2: Yeah, great. I'm feeling uh, really good about next year. So this year um, it took a step, not a step back. This year has been doing a lot of work but didn't put out any books. Um, But uh, there were open submissions at the end of December last year. And so I've picked up uh, two books. There was a third one um, that I'm going to recommend as something to look forward to next year that uh, Mm -hmm. Splice missed out on. But uh, is really um, connected tightly to the author, so that's great. Um, so there are two books. The first one's coming in April. It's by uh, a, a guy named Nathan Knapp, K N A P P, um, and it's called Daybook. Uh, and it is um, it's a it's about uh, a, a man who uh, is basically just writing about his kind of family history um he is a uh, he was raised as a southern baptist in oklahoma um and uh, it, uh he um i've lost it he, he's writing, he's writing so he's telling his family history as a southern baptist but as someone who has lapsed who's lost his faith and it's kind of about uh his relationship with his wife um at a particular moment in time which I won't reveal uh and how uh he has like his explorations of like sexual desire of uh emotional range beyond what um very conservative Christianity will allow Mm -hmm. um and kind of an awakening as a person who um can experience the full spectrum of 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 uh of what it means to be uh I guess I don't know to be free to be able to invent yourself to be able to pursue the sort of nameless things that are within you that you feel you have to you have to follow and see where they lead um and when that cuts against the grain of, of some very strict rules and he, he's got this you know in the cover copy i've described him as like a, a, a sort of southern baptist gerald Murnane or a bit like john fossey he's got this kind of style that's you know, goes on for like a long paragraph and then Within the text, he will look back at the paragraph and find a bit, something that he's referred to, and then he'll say, you know, a a few lines above, I said this, but I need to clarify this, and he he kind of circles back on itself Hmm. in this very kind of recursive way, really beautiful and really, really funny, like it's got such dark humour on every page, there's a lot, there's a lot Um, that made me laugh and a lot that I feel is really profound and I think I think it's a a mesmerizing beautiful book so that's Day Book that's coming out in April and then in June uh, I'm going to be publishing Greg Gerke's first novel so uh, I know your listeners and a lot of people will know Greg's work through his short stories and his book especially the bad things Mm -hmm. um, and also his essays see what I see Um, so his book is called In the Suavity of the Rock um and it is uh about it, in some ways it's it's uh, a similar setup to Daybook, which is the idea with splice by the way is that books come in groups and the books talk back to each other in interesting ways um even if in this case they're picked up for publication by chance they're picked up because there are resonances there so they go well together um and it's about someone who is looking back on his life um and we know early on that he uh he is uh, past middle age. He has a wife and daughter from whom he is mostly estranged. That's the setup. Um, but as he looks back on his life, he's trying to account for how it is that he's come to this point. The way he does it is not by looking at the major points in that relationship and its, and its breakdown. He kind of goes back and he's constantly drawn to Minor figures in his life, people who he might have met in passing or for a few minutes at a time or for one day. And he it's their uh, effect on him and his understanding of himself, of the world, of the way he relates to other people comes from these really, really, you know, marginal figures in, in the whole history of his, of his time um, in the world. Um, which is a fascinating way to do it. And it, it, I think somewhere early on he describes it as like he says he has a kaleidoscopic view of things, of himself, mm-hmm. and it really feels like the turning of a kaleidoscope with every page. Like you have this arrangement of people in a certain relationship, in a pattern, and he has this sort of set understanding of, of who they are and how he relates to them and how you know being with those people has affected him. And then he turns the kaleidoscope and the pattern shifts completely and he gets this new understanding. And he does that through, you know, uh, decades of his life, really, up to the point where um, we learn about his family situation. Um, and then one, that's about three quarters of the way through. And once you, under- you think you understand what his family situation is and, and how he relates to his, his wife and his daughter, that changes too in the final sort of turn of the kaleidoscope in the last quarter of the book. Um, you can probably tell from the way I'm describing it, it's it's very intricately designed, as I guess anyone who knows Greg Gerke's work would expect. Mm-hmm. It's um, that, you know, there was the Washington Post review of, of See What I See that said, you know, his sentences and his work are, are, are just gorgeous pieces of artistry in their own right, like gorgeous artifice to them. And that's absolutely true for this book. You know, there's, like, you can see every sentence, every paragraph has just been kind of uh, so carefully arranged as a self-contained unit and in the way it refers to everything around it. And, you know, that just goes on for page after page. It's so artfully designed. It's just an amazing uh, an amazing work of art, uh, okay. really, in the suamity of the rock. So that's coming in June. Um, and towards the end of the year, again, submissions will open for the next round. Okay. Yep.
0: Is, is this kind of the model you want to continue with, like, you know, just doing a few books a year or doing books at talk yes. each other?
2: I think, uh, I think it, it, it depends somewhat on my own inclinations and it depends somewhat on um, what comes in and what people are actually writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, I think we would go somewhere between two and four books a year um in kind of uh groups in batches so that those books as i said they do speak to each other um when they're within a a small series um and yeah so we'll be open submissions just to see what's out there and also you know there are people that sometimes i would approach and keep tabs on and say have you got anything have you got anything because i admire their work Um, i'm still personally leaning towards um short stories for the next rounds because I have not published a short story collection in a few years um there were open submissions last year and didn't turn up anything that really spoke strongly to me so I'm hoping that in the next round of submissions um some short story collections will will really turn up some impressive stuff cool
0: okay I have to ask you about your writing because you know you're deep in the depths of writing something do you want to tell us just about your progress and when we can expect to see something from you
2: yeah well I uh when you can expect to see something I don't know it's uh it's always speculative and I I hope my editor likes what I'm writing but you never know um but I am uh yeah I've got a a full draft of a novel um that has the tentative title The Burning um and I'm working through it at the moment to revise it and I hope to have that done in the next couple of months probably by the end of the winter northern hemisphere winter mm-hmm. um i might have mentioned it before on here or maybe not but it's about um it's about impressionism basically it's set in the uh 1860s to the 1890s with like in the impressionist circle um, and, but it's a it's an australian novel so it's about an australian painter named john russell who was uh, a guy from sydney who um who went to study in london and then found or came across this very tiny island in France called Belle Isle in the sort of in the Bay of Biscay. And he, um, so he moved to France and he moved to this island. And uh, in kind of one of those uh, lightning strike moments of human history, he, uh, in London, he he met some people connected with Impressionism. He met Rodin. Mm-hmm. um, He met a guy named Alphonse Le Gros, who was Uh, connected to the Impressionists at the beginning and he was told that his work resembled the work of Monet and uh, he went to Belle Isle in 1886 and was wandering along the western cliffs and without having any prior arrangements Monet also at that time was in the same place he decided he wanted to paint Belle Isle And uh, they met each other purely by chance in this extremely remote place and became um, sort of master and apprentice in a way. Um, And then there were other people that he was connected to. So if you Google Vincent van Gogh, you'll see van Gogh's portrait, not his self-portraits, but the main portrait was by John Russell because they were very close friends Mm -hmm. up until van Gogh's death. And then Russell himself was also a mentor to Matisse, who went to Belial afterwards. So there's this sort of generational Passing of impressionism into post impressionism, with Russell as the the crux of it in a way, um, and it's just striking to me, especially as you know someone who's from Australia but lives abroad, mm. to to uh, find someone who also has that sort of dedicated expat experience and a connection to a different landscape and a different place, mm. and so I'm kind of trying to write into that a bit, um, and figure out you know why. Why did this guy who grew up sort of in the Balmain area and then across yeah. the northern beaches, why did he, why was it these cliffs on the west coast of an island to the west yeah. of France? Why did he root his life there?
0: Yeah. It was funny. I was in the um, gallery in Sydney a few months ago with my sister, and um, we were just walking through, and I remember seeing a few of his paintings there, and they are like, they're so Matisse, or they're so, you know, yeah. Van Gogh they just they speak so strongly of that impressionist movement that you would think they were like and you know this is probably like you know insulting Australian art in a way but I think a lot of Australian art is is very much uh, of a of a piece of Australia in a way or it is trying to be something European but I think his work yeah. just seems to have fit into that you know like almost completely European mode where he's just been the ultimate expat.
2: Very much so, and uh, I think that's a really great way of putting it. And there's, the book kind of tries to trace that divergence as well because, well, as you can tell from what I've said, his life was full of coincidences, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the other coincidences in mm-hmm. his life was that when he got on the ship to London, just one of the other passengers who happened to be on the ship was another unproven artist who was Tom Roberts,
3: mm-hmm.
2: who was one of the founders of Australian Impressionism. Yeah. So they actually met on the ship studied together at the same school again just by chance as mm-hmm. they didn't set this up um and roberts became when he returned to australia and he became kind of um like the like official State Art. artist yeah that's right yes he did you know the shearing of the rams and he he was yeah. commissioned to paint the first parliament and that hangs in parliament house and it's a very yeah very polished very often european style as you, uh, sorry a very uh sort of old old world realistic style yeah. And it's sometimes he 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 goes for a more abstract or impressionist approach, but nowhere near in the way that Russell does. And so, yeah. it, the book is kind of about the relationships, the friendships between these people when they have these profound divergences in in just the way they see the world and mm. what it means to be creative in the world. And so, it's about yeah, also about Russell and Roberts having that relationship at a distance, one who's committed to like Australia as it's becoming a nation, mm. and to representing that, and one who is just totally about the individual experience at a specific moment in time in a specific place, completely unconnected from politics.
0: Mm. Cool. All right. Well, we should move on to some of your highlights of reading in 2023.
2: Yeah, i got to cheat a little bit. Um, So uh, one of the things that I did last year that I should not have done um, was uh, I looked at the reviews of Cormac McCarthy's two yeah. last novels, The Passenger and Stella Maris, and a lot of people were saying they weren't great. So I said, all right, I don't need to read those right now. I'll ask for them for Christmas. I got them for Christmas and I looked at them and I thought of the reviews and I thought, oh, I don't need to read those straight away, and I left them until February.
3: Yeah.
2: And then in February I read them and I was like, what the mm. fuck were those reviews about? Because yeah. I think they're incredible. I really think, and it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? Because I read them in February, and was just captivated by both of them. And they sent me right back to McCarthy, and I've been rereading all of McCarthy this year as a result of that, which I probably wouldn't have done without those two novels. And it's it's so hard because he has so many incredible books. Like out of the twelve that he published, there are there are at least six bona fide masterpieces. And any of the others would be the masterpiece of most other writers if they'd written yeah. just one of those right it's just so so far above just anything else I can think of you know his his accomplishment in in contemporary literature I, I mean you can tell I'm just kind of lost for words yeah. so I think the passenger and Stella Maris are in a way probably middle ranking or just above middle ranking McCarthy novels yeah. But that's still, like, an incredible kind of level of quality, right? It was just – it just blew me away. And so, uh, yeah, when I say i got to cheat, it's like, you know, the 12 best novels I read this year were all by one author, and that was (laughs) Cormac McCarthy. (laughs) Um, I could only recommend every single one of them. Okay, Um,
0: do do me a quick top three Cormac McCarthy books.
2: That's so hard, but I'll go uh, Blood Meridian is number one for me still. Yeah. uh i think satri is number two and the crossing is the third but that's I, even then i want to revise it because the road needs to be up there i don't know okay. it's, it's going to be something i can't do three this is impossible It's <laughs> <is> an impossible <laughs> time <laughs> uh, i think those would be my top four am i allowed four? the road yeah, sure. crossing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Satri Meridian. but yeah. what's amazing is also just rereading like some of the ones that i really revered i found new things about them and some of the ones that i thought were lesser have risen in my estimation. I really think um, Cities of the Plain in particular is just a, a really overlooked McCarthy novel because it's the end of the Border Trilogy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stand without the first two books, I think. you, It, it doesn't make sense on its own. Yeah. But as the end of the Border Trilogy, I, and it's mm-hmm. not as good as the other two. I think that might be why it's overlooked. It is mm-hmm. not as good. But it is still an incredible book.
3: Yeah,
2: Like the end of Cities of the Plain when, you know, a a spoiler alert is that John Grady Cole dies quite violently uh, at the end of this book, that whole sequence, this knife fight, and then the aftermath and its effects on the other character, Billy is just that that's like a 45 page, 50 page section of the book that I think is McCarthy at his best. Like that on its own is just an incredible piece of work, you know? So there were these parts of like the lesser books that really made me kind of Reconsider them and then parts of books that i thought were good that actually turned out not to be as good as i remembered like child mm. of god i think has really fallen down for me i don't i don't think it holds up as well as i thought it did mm. yeah so that's been just like the best thing <laughs> that's the best thing i've read this year is Cormac mccarthy again yeah <laughs> um but there are others um i just I, I, i'll narrow it down to just a few um you spoke to frank Wynne about matthias and Ars, um mm annual no, banquet, banquet of the great
0: yeah.
2: Day. um just like what an incredible piece of work and mm. i I've, I've just i've got this anecdote i i just briefly i went to one of his events matthias and i he was here in the uk and so i went to hear him speak to a very small group of people about 15 and i caught him at the end and just asked him about the book and some of the things he hadn't discussed which was mostly to do with like like the, the style and the structure and the way he put it together. Yeah. And he said this incredible thing. He said something like the way he pictured this book, and you know the Gravedigger's banquet sequence is like at the heart of the book, right? Yeah. That's this really important thing. Um, he said the way he pictured it was like not as writing but as like a piece of sculpture. And he mm-hmm. said you have to imagine the book standing up on its spine and then falling open equally on both sides. Right. Right the center of the book is revealed and he said you have to imagine from this like a sculpture rising from the book that's the thing he was trying to create and what it meant was he needed this central sequence of the grave diggers guild but he needed the material either side of that to be kind of proportionate in its duration in the page count okay which was amazing and so he said it took him like 10 years of just Collecting material that he felt could go in those places around the gravedigger's sequence, right? In order to give it that balance and that proportion, so that the sculpture would stand. That's Does that so makes sense.
0: It totally makes sense. I don't like. I don't understand how it works. Like for his book, but like it totally makes sense.
2: Yeah, it it it, it just. I've never heard of a method like that. And I, mm. but but then when I looked back on the book, I thought, yeah, I can I can see that. You can see this this monument sort of rising yeah. from ground of the rest of the book Mm. so that was like that was an amazing highlight Um, and then i read i want to recommend um a very short book that if you if you are enjoying the sorts of books that you might have seen recently from emily hall and jen craig Mm. um, there is a version set in edinburgh there is a type of book like that set in edinburgh by a poet named ollie hazard o-l-i and then Hazard with two Zs, mm-hmm. and it's called Lorem Ipsum, and it is um, about a person who's new to parenthood, basically uh, pushing a child around the meadows in Edinburgh, and these the person's uh, narrator's concerns just spool out into lots of different directions in a really beautiful way, a really tight way, and it's, uh, I guess it's a bit more eastern influence so it's picking up things explicitly from like Japanese literature and the way um, Japanese narratives can be constructed and putting them into this thought process it's really great Mm -hmm. Um, I read Luke Carman's An Ordinary Ecstasy his most recent short story collection which I'm a bit late to but I thought it was amazing Um, particularly the longer stories in there Uh, I wasn't expecting it to be as good as uh, an elegant young man which I really loved but it's way better it's just it's a, an incredible um maturation uh as a writer is is on display in that book um particularly just the way he he shapes his narratives in just i don't know in, in the in the sense that things that that in another narrative would be kind of unimportant or minor just get developed in extraordinary spiky kind of detail and then the things that are kind of important elsewhere just kind of fall away you have to yeah. go back and catch up and figure out what it is that you missed and why it was left out um so I really enjoyed him and then uh for years people have been telling me to read James Salter and I never have yeah um, he's great I read Light Years yeah uh, in like a day mm-hmm. and just completely captivated by it yeah that the control of language and the kind of fragmentation and distillation that that he has in there the way he plays around with the passage of time and the the passage of time the way he does that is quite beautiful and also just his writing about people's like bodies and desires is sometimes just awkward and embarrassing but I think he's controlled in that way like so it's like deliberately awkward and then other times it's so sensitive and I don't know earnest kind of earnest without being like cringy kind of earnest. I don't know how he does that. He, he walks a very fine line mm. um, between those. Um, and then the last few things I was late to, again, uh, was Eleanor Ferrante, who I'd never read until this year and basically yeah. <laughs> imbibed the okay. Neapolitan Quartet wow. in the blink of an eye. And Amy Hempel... His short story collection, Tumble Home, I'd read a while ago, but I read her collected stories this year. Do you know the Books of Some Substance podcast? Yeah. So there's an episode they did um, with a guest on the collected stories of Amy Hempel, mm. who is who comes out of the Gordon Lish School of American Fiction. That Probably stylistically the closest of those writers that, that she is uh, closest to is probably Gary o. Lutz. Okay. Um, who I really love and uh, but uh, uh, just in in terms of like humor like there's a joke on every page every page of this book makes you laugh and also the grotesquerie um, is there so I read her collected stories and really recommend those um, mm-hmm. as well in the end that's like ten ten 10 books plus Cormac McCarthy that's a lot to recommend it but there is. you go
0: that's huge Cool. All right. Well, 2024 looks pretty good so far, I think. But what do you have in store?
2: Only a few. Um, So uh, I guess it's coming out this month, but it's not out yet. Blake Butler's um, memoir, Molly, yeah, Mm. is something that I've been looking forward to for a while, particularly since reading extracts of it. Um, As much a memoir as it is, it seems to be going kind of supernova as a memoir it's going into really interesting abstract areas that speak mm-hmm. to me that's out um yeah in a week or so i have not yeah. read it yet okay um Jean baptiste del armo has a new novel coming out this mm-hmm. year uh, it's called the son of man so i think yeah you spoke to frank Wynne, who i think is the translator of that book as well yeah that's right have you read animalia
0: i have and I still don't know whether I hate it or I like it because it is like so depressing and oh, it, it makes you feel like you know how some of Cormac McCarthy's work makes you feel like just horrible on the inside. Yes. That book makes you feel, I don't know. Yeah, it's, 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 oh,
2: anyway. Horrible on the inside and the outside. Like you yeah, need a shower oh, after reading it's... some of that.
0: Yeah. So um, I don't know. Like, I, I honestly, I still, I still have not. You know, the test maybe is that I haven't gotten rid of it yet. It's still in my bookshelves. But yeah, I, I honestly like. It's kind of like um Samuel Delaney's Hog. Like, mm-hmm. it's one of those books where you're like, I don't know. Like, I just don't know where to stand with this because it makes me feel awful. And um, yeah, I'm glad. But it I still has it. that thing.
2: Yeah, it's like something in it speaks to you, right? That's right. Like this, exactly you know, right. there's something there that you need to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping he can. I, I really, uh, I love that stuff. I yeah. kind of eat that up, <laughs> um, so to speak. Although I shouldn't say that with animalia, because there's a lot of ingestion of disgusting things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm hoping he can do something just as well with the Son of Man. which I, I want think is out just
0: a little bit less. Um, I don't know, a little bit less visceral, let's say. I think that's that's probably yeah. the word I want to use. A little bit less visceral. And and then I'd be quite happy. Because I really well, liked like a lot of it, but
2: yeah. Too much pig shit.
0: Yeah, too much pig shit. Too much just I don't know. Too much awfulness, too much mud. So
2: there, there's a, there's a lot of mud. There's an amazing sequence where he gets into like the mind of this wild boar. Mm. And gets out of like the family dynamics, and there's this wild creature kind of stalking the outskirts of the farm in Animalia, which I, I yeah. think is an amazing shift in perspective. And mm. uh, yeah, I think that's where he kind of showed his versatility, rather than the one note kind of yeah. muck. Yeah, it, it kind of went somewhere else, and I, I hope there's a bit more of that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, flexibility. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am a sucker for. Uh, Marilyn Robinson for anything she writes anything I will, I will read all of it so she has a new book coming out called Reading Genesis which is exactly about that it's about the book of Genesis um, which as a not particularly religious person doesn't speak to me much but I I just love her I just love her intelligence and her expression so I'm, I'm looking forward to that and then the book I mentioned a book that Splice didn't manage to pick up um, just didn't squeak through but it is coming out from a Canadian press, um, and it's by a guy called uh, Rod Moody Corbett, M-O-O-D-Y hyphen Corbett, C-O-R-B-E-T-T. In mm-hmm. um, a version I read, it's called Hides, okay. as in the things that hunters go into when they're stalking yeah. prey, like a hide. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it is about that. It's about uh, some odd father-son relationships kind of um, and friendships among peers on a on a hunting party. Um, There's a really unusual kind of hunting party and it's also not really about the hunting and the setup is kind of more there to, I don't know, just explore some unusual ways that people relate to each other in confined settings and the ways those are mediated or not mediated when technology is taken out of it. Mm. It's so well written and sharp and also very funny. Um, and so I would keep an eye out for that. Yeah, Rod Moody Corbett. He's a, he's a, he's a great talent. I think he's going to go far.
0: Is that is that the one out through Daunt?
2: Uh, no, it's not coming out through Daunt. Um, it's coming out through a Canadian press whose name escapes me at the moment.
0: Okay. All right. We'll find it. Yeah. Oh, cool. very good. Anything else you're looking forward to next year?
2: Uh, I'm just... I'm going to throw in there that I also edit short fiction for 3am magazine.com yeah. uh, and it's been an amazing year for a lot of submissions um, submissions are about to open and they will be open throughout December and into early January so if you are listening to this and you write short prose um, of a vaguely fictional bent it doesn't have to be strictly fictional I'll take anything that's kind of flexible on that Mm -hmm. Um, as long as it's adventurous with its language and uh and its construction and kind of not uh not a traditional short story um or else playing with tradition in interesting ways please send it in Mm -hmm. um I take 30 each year or thereabouts which is a very small proportion of what gets submitted. But please, if uh, if that sounds like the kind of thing that uh, anyone listening to this writes, please send it in, 3ammagazine.com.
0: Cool. Okay. Awesome. All right. I will let you go. I'm so looking forward to the two books Spice has out next year. They both sound incredible, especially the Greg Gurky. I just cannot wait for that. So very exciting year.
2: Yeah. It's 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 worth waiting for and it's uh, it's it's going to pay off.
0: Awesome. All right. Daniel, it is always a pleasure chatting with you, and I wish you so much success in your writing and also with Splice and wish you a very, very happy uh, Christmas and New Year.
2: You too, Ben. Uh, Take care. Have a great Christmas and New Year. Thanks very much.
0: We'll take a quick break here. You're listening to the Beyond the Zero end of year special. Do you have young kids? Do you struggle to get trustworthy babysitters at a reasonable price? Well, why not try Golem Babysitting Services, proud sponsors of this week's episode. Here's a few words from one of our highly qualified professionals.
4: When Golem say go the fuck to sleep, he mean it. And children go to sleep. I have many years experience. We, we love you Golem.
0: Use promo code where's my dick for 10% off your first booking. And now we head over to Ian Smith in New Zealand. Thanks for joining me all the way from Wellington, New Zealand, Ian Smith.
5: G'day. How's it going, Ben?
0: Yeah, it's really good. How are you?
5: Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, things are going good. Coming up to another end of year and an end of year special for you. Thanks for having me on
0: it's such a pleasure speaking with you because every single year we speak we you always give me something that I'm like oh my god I'm so excited for that I know a few things on your list last year haven't actually come out yet so I assume that, they'll come up too
5: and I've and I've held them over I, I've probably I've, I've got them here still you know I thought oh I talked about that one last year shall I have it on no well still got to have it on because it's not out so Absolutely. yeah yeah I thought people would forget <laughs>
0: One of one of the highlights that made me so freaking jealous of you last year, or this year, sorry, I should say, was that you got to go and see David Keenan in Christchurch. you want to tell us about that experience?
5: Yeah, um, yeah, that was really, really cool. Um, as it happened, uh, my wife and daughter were going away to Auckland that very weekend. Um, my daughter's turned eighteen and she's mm-hmm. going to university next year and she was checking out university in Auckland and seeing if she wanted to go up there. So while they were doing that, that coincided with the, the um, I think it was, um, Oh, what is it? What was it called again? I think it was called, was it called word in Christchurch or the verb? I think it was, Oh man, I should know better. But anyway, there was a great literary festival um, down there and um, David Keenan was, was coming to town, and he was doing two events. He, he firstly was performing on the first night, on the Friday night, with Bruce Russell of the Dead Sea, mm. who um, some people may be familiar with. He's pretty um, pretty revered in New Zealand in terms of the avant-garde noise scene here. And um, he was he was kind of doing a kind of solo piece with um, David Keenan reading just interspersing um David Keenan reading excerpts out of Monument Maker, which yeah. was just amazing, you know, because mm-hmm. I haven't I hadn't seen Bruce Russell since he um since he was in the Dead Sea supporting Sonic youth years and years and years and years, and years ago, um, when I was probably in my twenties or or even or even my late teens. Um so it was great to see Bruce Russell and David Keenan and both on the same night. So that was great. And and it just really worked well together, you know. Um hearing David Keenan reading, he's got such a it's such a propulsive reading style. It was just it was just perfect. And all I I really wanted to do was just read Monument Maker again, which I always want to, but it's just one of those things you never I don't get round to it, but it's constantly there in the back of my mind. I have to read that book again yeah and then the next night he um he was he was interviewed and um and he spoke very fondly of New Zealand and had a real affinity to our country which is which was really amazing to hear mm. um so I was I was I was just blown away to to hear from him, you know um he was he was only literally. For that interview, I I had a front row seat, not intentionally, but kind of I got there early and now kind of forcing people to the front. So there I was literally about two meters away from the interview table. Um, And that was just, yeah, yeah, quite an experience. So I was really, um, I was really delighted to be able to go down there for that. And um, it was a, it was an awesome weekend. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Cool. All right. Well, let's get on to some of your highlights of 2023 and reading. Cause I know you've read a heap of books and a heap of very thick books, but what were some of the really great things you read?
5: Yeah, well, um, I'm a little bit undercooked for this. So I've um I've just kind of I'll just reel off a list of books that stood out. I've kind of I kind of keep a list because I I tend to forget. If you mm-hmm. if you meet me if you meet me in a bar somewhere and you ask me, have you read any good books lately, I'll probably look at you blankly because I can't <laughs> so many things rolling yeah. around in my head that I can't remember them so anyway that the year started off really well I read um, Divine Days by Leon Forrest mm-hmm. which um, actually was published uh, republished either late last year or early this year um, so that was you know that's a really good po- good book for people to read it's immense but there's just some amazing stories in there
3: mm-hmm.
5: um, Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban. Um, for years. I knew about that book and just never got to it. And there's not another book like that one. Um, really enjoyed that. Hurricane Season by Fernando Melchor, um, and translated by Sophie Hughes. Really enjoyed that. That's a brutal, brutal piece of work. Mm-hmm. The Garden of Seven Twilights. I couldn't come on here and not mention that. That's an yeah. absolute highlight of the year by Miguel de Palio, translated by Adrian Nathan West. Uh, the Obscene Bird of Night. Um, I've been wanting to read that for a long time since Zach and some Isenberg told me about it on yeah. it, And uh, that's by Jose Donoso,
3: mm.
5: translated by Hardy St. Martin and Leonard Maids. Mm. That's also, that's been almost nigh on impossible to find. That's right. Uh, you know, until. I think April next year, New Directions have a new translation coming out. There's going to be some new material in that. So Megan McDowell's done some work on it. So I understand it's like the version that I just read this year, Mm -hmm. but there's additional material in it. Yeah. Have you read that book?
0: I have not. And Megan will appear on this end of year special too. Um, Awesome. And... Yeah, and I cannot wait to read it when it comes out. I actually had a copy. I found a copy for a reasonable price. And the same day I found a copy, they announced like the, the this new edition. And me, Megan McDowell is like one of my favorite translators. She's awesome. And so I'm just, I've decided just to put all my money on the new translation and I will read it with gusto in the new year.
5: Yeah, I, I just couldn't wait any longer. I got quite impatient with it, but I am really psyched to read that the new translation next yeah. year, just with the added material. Mm-hmm. So that'll be great because that's that's a book that really does does invite a reread. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, another real standout, and this was an immense book, was Antagony by Louis Guitasolo translated by Brendan Riley. And that received uh, an award recently. I can't quite remember yeah. if um, uh, it was an award for translation from Spanish, mm. I believe, or this was Catalan, of course. So uh, anyway, I don't remember the detail, but um, it was a real standout that Brendan Riley's translation um, mm. got that award. So that stood out to me. That's that's huge, that book. And yeah, um, some parts of it are really really dense and tricky and then other parts are just just great they just read so well read so fast you know so mm-hmm. yeah that's a challenging read yeah. um death in spring by mathia rodareta i'm not sh- i i can't remember who translated that i haven't i haven't i've got a i've got a blank space here i think i meant to fill it in and look it up for preparation for the show but um, coming up blank on that. That's an yeah. awesome book. Uh recently finished the combinations by Louis Armand, which oh, absolutely yeah. by
0: surprise, so good.
5: It is so good. Yeah, I I didn't know what to expect, and it was more than I expected uh, in every way. So that's a that's an amazing book. So I've just finished that about a week ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I've got I've got here finally just two books that I am reading now and they are both just, just stunning me and that's abended security by robert s stickley um mm. from uh Corona. yeah from Corona Corona, so yeah that yeah. Yeah. um that's that i stylistically i've not read i can't think of another book like that that i've read So mm. um, that's that's going really well Love that book. And then uh White Dialogues by Bennett Sims. It's just a book of short stories, his first book of short stories. And you know, I've only read two stories so far, but I love them both. And the first one the first one was about a guy who, who kind of house house a place in the in the wilderness. And it is just perfectly perfect horror, the way that it just escalates and um guy's this guy's brain is frying while he's out there in the wilderness and it's it's fantastic recommend recommend Bennett Sims he's got a new book of short stories out called Other Minds which people are um talking very well about so Mm -hmm. I'm excited to read that or to get it and read it and also um A Questionable Shape I think I will definitely be getting that off the back of this I'll read anything that Bennett Sims writes now okay out, it's down.
0: important for me. I, I'll have to look him up.
5: Yeah, and no, I recommend him. Really? Very good.
0: Cool. Well, shall we get on to the books you're looking to in 2024?
5: Yeah. Okay, so I've got – Um, I can take a couple off that list because I just mentioned them, which is mm. good. But I've got um The Children of the Dead by Alfred Jelenek.
0: Yeah, I was I was looking at that today. That sounds so good. Alfred Jelinek. yeah. Malenic, yeah.
5: Yeah, now I have never read her before, mm. I, but I intend to start with that one and then I can just work backwards from there. I yeah. think it sounds amazing. Mm. Uh, that's due out in March, I think. Mm. Um, another one, uh, I think Andre from the Untranslated first, that's how I first learned about that one, and and it goes the same for the next one, which is Chevenger by Andre Platinov. Okay. Um, that's translated by Elizabeth Chandler, and there's a. It's coming out in a hardback by Harvel and Secker in December this mm. year, and I think um, NYRB are doing an edition as well. Okay. So that that's looking good. There's also Shimmering Details, which is the Peter Nadas memoir, mm. and that, that's coming out in two volumes. I did read parallel stories this year and off the back of that, I mean that's another high point, but you've got to draw the line, you know. Yeah. So off, off the back of that, I will definitely be reading more Peter Nadas, and that will be that will be one I'll look at.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh you know about Summa Chaotica. Yeah. Now the sequel comes out in November next year too. Mm. That Resta Chaotica.
0: Yeah. Doug Soul. Uh, yeah. We'll be translating.
5: Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You had him on your show. That was great.
0: Yeah.
5: Um, looking forward to that. Uh, I'll mention Lies and Sorcery by Elsa Morante. I mentioned it last year, but that's out now. Um, mm. translated by Jenny McPhee, but people are talking really well of that. And then there's Marshland. I mentioned last year. You know about I know, that,
0: yeah.
5: Aga. I think that's due out in February now.
0: Yeah, it's March or February, yeah.
5: Yeah. And, I mean, you know, if it gets delayed, I don't mind. I've got enough to read. But yeah. uh, keeping a BDI eye on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another book that I saw this year where I learned about, which I never hear anybody mention. I, I, I don't know if it's very good or not, but it's called um, – it's been out, I don't know how long, but it's been out – a number of years called "The Mind Crimes of August Saint" okay. by someone called Elaine Arias-Misson, okay. and um, I mean, look it up. That that book sounds crazy. I did a I did a post on X about that. Um, yeah. yeah, I I can't remember, but it just sounded wild, and I I have to find a copy of that book and read it. Yeah. So I'll do that next year.
0: Okay very cool I've never heard of that
5: Hmm. yeah okay. yeah I've not seen any buzz about it I I did a post about it but um there wasn't a lot of action going on with that one so maybe I just have to read it and then try and get some buzz going if it's any good
0: yeah cool <laughs> okay yeah I will have to look that one up I'm never ever heard of it okay
5: mm. I've got a couple of I've got it so those are all the books I'm looking forward to next year that aren't out. I don't know if you're interested in hearing about anymore. I've got a pile, a stack yeah, of, of books, ones that I've got already but which I just thought I'd pull out some random ones and say, well I'm looking forward to that. Mm. So I'm really interested in getting into this guy, John Kirstad. Okay, who's never written... heard of him? You've never heard of him? No, never. No, nah, so he's written this trilogy, so the first one is The Seducer
0: yeah. and
5: there's the, there's The Conqueror and The Discoverer. Okay. So there's a there's a trilogy of, trilogy of decent sized books. They're all about six hundred pages a piece, yeah. you know. Um I'm looking forward to getting into that.
0: I'm guessing what is he Norwegian? Where's he from?
5: He's, yeah, he's Norwegian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think I just heard about him through um oh what's his name? Travel through stories. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, are they
0: historical novels? What are they?
5: No, I believe that they're I don't know if it's very mainstreamy because they did very well in Norway. Yeah. Um. But I think that they uh they tell the story about, um, a TV presenter and I th- I believe does he does he murder his wife or something like that? Oh,
0: okay.
5: Yeah. Some kind of um some kind of controversy that follows him yeah. around three novels. Yeah. Um you know, I never really concern myself too much about what books are about necessarily. Yeah. Like, oh, that sounds good. I'll read that. And then I'll, yeah. then I'll, I'll get into it. Yeah. Um, then of course I've got to get into Alexis Wright, Praiseworthy, have yeah. to mention, really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Then, then we've got Inviticum by Michael Brodsky.
0: Yeah. I've got that here too.
5: Isn't it a brick? That's just massive. massive. Yeah, But I, uh, you know, I go on about Bricks, but um, I think possibly a bit much. I mean, there's so many good shorter books out there, but mm. I suppose I go on about them because I just think it's almost against all odds that things like that get published after yeah. I've heard the likes of Daniel Davis Wood and Chad Post have said about the logistics of actually publishing these things. So yeah. I'm always so grateful when they do um, appear, you know, yeah. I feel obliged to read them. I don't know. Do you want to hear about more books?
0: Oh, th- it, this Like, that is the whole, like, that could be <laughs> the, the tagline of the podcast.
5: Yeah. So I've got I've got another from De Stamper book here called yeah. Wild Horses by Geordie Kusa.
0: Okay. Haven't read that one.
5: Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. I believe that's about, uh, well, I know cocaine's the big thing in that book. So it's all about, I think the characters are all just, Hooked on hooked on cocaine. Um, Paul Stanbridge, the Forbidden Line.
0: Yeah, I've got a copy of that here, which Daniel Davis would uh, also highly recommends, but I've never read it. Yes.
5: Yeah, he he spoke very highly of his his most mm. recent book, A Mind My Castle Is. I uh, yeah. my I think, mm. yeah. Same from from Beggar Press as well. I've got I found in the secondhand bookshop this book by Adam Biles called Feeding Time, okay. which I'd never heard of Adam Biles before, but he's got another book out. So that's kind of a driver to me. I have okay. to read in time just to see if I want to read his new book. Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to that. Um, do want to mention Yuval Shimon- Shimoni, who you're familiar with. Yeah. Looking forward to reading A Room in mm. the first, before I get to the salt line.
0: Okay. I haven't read that yet. I've got that on my on my bedside table and I've, I started it, and I loved what I read, and I was like, "Oh, this is one of those books that I want to read like just at once and not have to share time with." So, holiday yeah. reading coming up.
5: Yeah, I've got yeah, I've got books like that where, yeah, I think I need I need I I need not work in my brain while I'm yeah. reading that book. Yeah. Um, but I don't get that luxury very often. So, yeah, yeah I can't be too fussy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to read Maiden Here, Maiden Hair by Mikhail Shishkin.
0: Yeah, I've heard great well, things about that.
5: Yeah. And then finally another open letter book. Thomas oh, this is this Thompson. is the one
0: that Chad was talking about being like the the Norwegian Ulysses or whatever. Like yeah, that, that sounds so what, good.
5: That's what they say of it. Yeah, totally. So yeah, that's by Goodberger Bergson. Mm. Yeah. Um Absolutely hyped about that book. So
0: I'm actually yeah. surprised that's not a burger chain yet. It huh? should be. Good burger Bergson. Surely Good. that is a burger chain.
5: Good burger. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It does sound like a gimme, doesn't it?
0: Oh, for sure. I would totally do that.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those are the ones I pulled up, pulled aside. I mean, I could you know, I could go on, but you know, yeah, you've got to gotta draw a line somewhere and you've got other people to talk to.
0: That's all right cool okay well it's always such a pleasure hearing what you're reading and what you're looking forward to because you always have so many great things that i'm not aware of or i've forgotten about or i should have bought and i didn't so it's been yeah fantastic hearing about some of these things and now now i have to go buy more shit oh well never mind it's all good
5: that's the way it goes but um yeah thank you for that that's very kind of you to say and i mean I, i must say that i am in in my own turn indebted to you and and indebted to so many people out there they'll know who they are whom i'm always learning about books from so i'm just one link in a very long chain i
0: believe cool all right well always a pleasure um the bookshops in wellington must be great because you seem to get so many cool things
5: yeah i've come to realize that i'm it's i'm quite blessed with the bookshops here we've got one there's one bookshop in town maybe two that that do new public published works that you'd buy mm-hmm. new, but the the secondhand book scene here is really good. And there was um there was a there was one that opened this year, and the book scene was already good. But this one, it's decent. It has like li- literally multiple hard copy hard copies of Ulysses in there. So yeah, they had a first edition US of Ulysses. Um, mm-hmm. The other day, and, and and it was okay. It was a couple of hundred bucks, but that I believe would be small change in the scheme of things. Sure. In terms of what, yeah. Um, but I don't book. I don't. I don't trade in books for money. It's just yeah. out of passion, and love yeah. for it. Yeah. That honestly, the the books they have are just amazing, and um, there's really good turnaround as well. Mm. Yeah.
0: Wow. Amazing. I don't know
5: where they're all coming from. Our small population where all these books are coming from you know yeah I'm not not putting I'm not putting many out there I can tell you that
0: maybe going back to the wild horses theory like maybe they're just importing books full of cocaine
5: (laughs) yeah don't know
0: possible anyway
5: (laughs) be careful I won't carry any of these secondhand books around on my international flights then
0: (laughs) yeah you never know
5: it could be trace elements exactly yeah
0: cool all right well i look forward to um you know next time we meet hopefully you know there won't be any sniffer dogs around and we can read some great books from new zealand
5: <laughs> yeah i look forward to that and you can even know um might be over in your neck of, neck of the woods someday i'm planning to go to tasmania end of next year oh nice never know um if there'll be a kind of sydney or melbourne add-on okay. with a trip like that you know
0: well, yeah, Melbourne's Melbourne's a very cold, long shark field swim away, but it's not it's not too bad.
5: Yeah, been there, been there a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. So cool. I would, Ben. Cool.
0: Nice. Thank you so much, Ian. Have a very merry Christmas. Enjoy your family time and a very happy new year of reading.
5: And you too. Thank you, Ben.
0: And now we head back to the UK and talk with Ali Miller. Ali Miller, welcome to the end of your show. Thank you so much for joining me.
6: Thank you for having me.
0: Has winter set in yet over in the UK?
6: Well, yeah, it's it's a bit gray and dismal today. Um, I was up in Glasgow over the weekend and it was like well below freezing and because I live south now I'm not used to it so I was kind of just walking around all hunched up and shivering but then woke up to snow on Saturday morning so that was lovely because it felt like proper winter Wow. whereas now I'm back south it's just a little bit like it's not very nice um but yeah it's definitely beginning to bite a little bit
0: yeah do you get snow in Hastings?
6: I don't think so. I think it may be sometimes, but I think yeah. it's so coastal and so southern it would have to be exceptionally cold for it to lie.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, I want to ask you, what were some of your highlights of reading in 2023?
6: Um. Probably uh, my biggest highlight, I think, was Bret Easton Ellis uh, with The Shards. I am a long-time fan of Bret Easton Ellis. I, I love that he goes where people would shy away from i think it's a shared sensibility that we have he's he's provocative and he's a bit naughty and the shards it's just a brilliant read as well i got i got through it really quickly it's a big book but i read it just i think in the new year and oh absolutely loved it um and then i saw him at the south bank talk about it which was one of my highlights of the year as well he was so generous with his time and so intriguing just to listen to someone that is you know has been such a master for such a long time
0: yeah I love that book so yeah I absolutely completely agree with you it is brilliant and it, it it's just something that you can read through so quickly and I did not want that book to end
6: yeah I didn't want it to end and I found it funny because Usually, a book that length, you're, mm. you're kind of like, right like, now is he going to? But <laughs> I also listened to it on his on his Patreon. Have you listened yeah. to it?
0: No. So I know he was putting it out on his Patreon page for for ages, like for a couple of years, wasn't it? But yeah, mm-hmm. no, I didn't actually ever listen to it; I just read it.
6: Yeah. So I, after I read it, discovered that he'd been putting it out, and that if you subscribe, you got like this whole archive. Mm. So. I started listening and it is different from the book because it pre-existed the book. So he was kind of, he was doing almost a Charles Dickens thing of, he was writing it and then reading it. Mm. Um, And I think he, he started putting stuff up and this is what he said at the South Bank. So I'm sure I'm not transgressing anything, but he started putting stuff up before, before he'd sold it as well yeah well and then his editor said oi hang on a minute you've got a contract (laughs) with us and and what's going on with this thing um but it's really interesting because it's almost like the evolution of a book Mm. but hearing him read it is really fascinating and I did I just thought it was a brilliant book and so entertaining and I love how he's almost, I've been thinking about this a lot, he's almost like a kind of curator in that book because he was so desperate to bring the shopping mall kind of mm. back to life. And he brings back these times that we're not in anymore mm. so well, he preserves them. And and it's a real moment in time book that you can be completely in that version of LA at that yeah. time that they're living it. And then I started to think about that through his whole that catalog, it's something that runs through. It's mm. very, you know, in American Psycho, there's the list of everything Bateman's wearing. It's almost yeah. a, a litany of, and again, it, it creates this cultural moment that we otherwise wouldn't have. So I think that that's very smart. He's such a clever writer. Mm. So that was definitely an incredible way to start the year. And then after that, I read Richard Millward's Man Eating Typewriter. Mm um which is from White Rabbit and I was sent it um because I was, did I interviewed Richard at his launch in March and so I was lucky enough to read it before it came out and I, I think it's one of the most playful inventive books the love of language throughout it that Richard is deploying Polari and you you have to enter a different linguistic world mm-hmm. and the I the sense that a game is a foot and it's so rare now to get a book that so unabashedly embraces that and plays with with the with the more playful side of storytelling Mm. um it's a real shape shifter of a book I absolutely loved it too Mm. um and another big book but again another big book that you can read quickly yeah um
0: the ending to that book as well the way he sets up that kind of almost like potboiler thing like towards the end where you just don't know what's going to happen it's like a Patricia Higgsmith thriller or something or but it's it's way better than that it just it is an unbelievable book so I absolutely loved it
6: well I love what he did because it's literary but it's not pretentious so he embraces the kind of idea that yeah you can you can bring in a thriller and and, Mm. you know a purely literary book that isn't doing anything to engage the reader yeah or that's just an ideas book is is in a way kind of not really exploring the the full spectrum of storytelling Mm. and he definitely does that and I absolutely love how he did it in the book as well and I love that from very early on you're aware that something's happening typographically mm. and the way he uses time it's such a clever way to guide you through because as you get closer to the event that you know is yes. going to yeah. happen yeah. you start reading more quickly as well mm. and the way the footnotes um unfold throughout the book as well yeah. um and I'm a big fan of how David Foster Wallace uses footnotes. And mm-hmm. so to see Richard using footnotes in that book was a complete joy as well, because yeah. everything, as as the world you've been presented with starts to destabilize and crumble and the footnotes mm-hmm. begin to take over. And yeah, it's a very clever book and I was very pleased to see it on the Goldsmiths list um
0: I actually like you know those books where you're like I don't know how it hasn't won an award somewhere like I I feel like that book should have like so much popular acclaim and so much critical acclaim because it does everything like it does everything that a novel could do I don't think there's I don't think there was another book out in 2023 that is of the same caliber like and that's I think that's a huge compliment to it but I think that book is doing something completely different to everything else that I read in 2023 for sure
6: yeah it's genuinely a brilliant book I'm really excited Mm. to see where he goes next he's such an interesting writer he's he's so fascinating and yeah it was definitely those two were my real highlights of the year Mm. um definitely a really lovely way to to begin a year um and then I in terms of memoir I would say that my standout was Oliver Moles Train Lord
0: oh f- um, how good was that I've totally forgotten about that book because I spoke to Oliver earlier in the year and he did his Edinburgh show as well didn't he
6: he did and I yeah. missed it and then he did his London show and I missed it too and I'm really annoyed that I missed both shows but I did see him at an event in London um, and he I think Train Lord is just beautiful Mm -hmm. it's beautiful on a prose level it's incredibly well written he's such a skilled writer but it's also on a memoir level of when you're recounting an event where you could be making a bid for the reader's sympathy or a kind of poor me bid he never ever does that it's it's such a smart book Mm
3: -hmm. and
6: it's such a um a book that's very aware Of its own status as well. I love when he tells a story about his childhood and then tells you that, of course, it's not true. Mm. He's really engaged you, and then, of course, after that, you're not sure what's true and what's mm. not, but you're very sure of what's beautiful and what's thought provoking, and and also the brutality of the railway and bringing in other people's stories and the brutality mm. of life on the trains but also how the trains save people's lives it's it's really a beautiful book I think I've been really evangelical with that one with Mm. lots of people saying this this book you must read this book or you must go and see his play or Mm. yeah he's great and again another writer that because obviously he his novel was out first and then this and he can clearly write for stage so I, I'm very interested to see where he goes and what he does next because I think he's I think he's truly an exciting writer.
0: Yeah. That that book, again, it's one of those books where like the other two we talked about, you can read through that book in a day. But there's scenes in that book. There's 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 parts of that book where he's on trains. And I used to catch a lot of those train lines he's talking about where um he's making announcements as he's the, you know, as he's you know, on the train and making all these jokes to the passengers on the train, which I, I don't know. Yeah, it's there's things that stick out in that book that are just fantastic. But yeah, wonderful guy, wonderful book.
6: Oh, he's lovely. And yeah, it's a great book. And also I um set myself the funny little rule that I would only read it on trains
3: Oh wow! because I was
6: traveling a lot when I was reading it so I've got like yeah. in my mind now it was that oh I was going to Edinburgh when I read this bit or mm. I was going to a night out here when I read this bit and you know he had me crying on the tube and I was obviously saying "God, no no you're fine yeah. um, there's some books really you shouldn't read in public and that's definitely one of them but absolutely one of my standouts from the year.
0: Thank you for reminding me of that because I should have remembered it. I wrote it down on the list I wrote like a month ago and I've completely forgotten. But, yeah, thank you so much for reminding me of it because it is fantastic. What a great book.
6: Um, really brilliant book.
0: Cool. Well, I should wrap it up with you. A very Merry Christmas. I hope you have a lovely time with your family and a very happy, successful New Year with writing and, and getting this beautiful book of yours off the ground. And I hope it does extremely well um because i highly recommend ava and ada it is just so good thank you it's beginning to look a lot like christmas everywhere you go take a look at the five and ten it's glistening once again with candy canes and silver lanes that glow it's beginning to look a lot like and now we head over to Brooklyn and talk with A.B. Maricini. Welcome to the end of your show, Alex and Lewis, a.k.a. The Tuft. Thanks for joining me.
7: I'm a.k.a. Av Maricini, but really, the cat is the highlight of my literary career, so I think we should focus on him.
0: I should have introduced him first. Never mind.
7: Yeah, yeah you know, I'm honoured <laughs> to be butler and or guardian.
0: <laughs> well... This seems like the next subject of a novel, but Lewis and you had a transatlantic move very recently, and Lewis and you also stayed in the Paris Hilton. Um, I want okay. know- to
7: know. Clarify, finding the Paris airport hotel that was willing to accept pets was the reason it ended up being the Hilton. <laughs> I have no like grand preference at airport hotels. He, however, loves hotels. Mm-hmm. We don't have a flat screen TV. We don't have a huge bed. So he loves like sprawling. He's a very large cat mm. and he's a black cat. So he'll lie on a, he's, if you've seen him and I think strange portions of literary Twitter have many of them have seen him. Um, he lies on like a hotel size California king bed completely sprawled out watching the hotel flat screen TV. It makes me feel sad that I can get, neither give him a California king bed nor a dedicated flat screen TV. Mm. But he loves those things. He actually loves hotels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but- you know um because we were moving from the uk to the us and if you fly directly from the uk you can't fly your cat in the cabin and he's my beloved baby and i wasn't going to put him in the hold of a plane uh we ended up on a crazy we had a i can't drive so we had to hire someone to drive us to paris and then by the time we got there because the tunnel and you know the timing you can't yeah. quite make a flight the same day so that's how we ended up staying at the Paris airport Hilton and then actually we flew to Miami Florida where my parents live so that he could stay with his doting grandparents while I set up an apartment in New York City with no furniture so that it was perfectly aligned to his needs including the bookshelves he jumps on and the desk he lies on while he slaps my hands when I try to write with his big paws. <laughs>
0: I, I really actually want to see this documentary. I think it would be fascinating. The tough. The no,
7: I think my life is really boring, but I do have a very big, very cute cat. And I think just mm. following him around. I mean, he does. When I'm not here, I think he sleeps. But when I'm awake, he definitely makes it his job to menace books and sit mm. on objects. I think I just, before I got on the podcast, I tweeted a picture where I tagged you of him sitting on the desk getting mm, ready sorry. to serve us. Yeah, that's his his default working position actually my desk is a kitchen table because the desks from ikea are all small my most of my furniture comes from ikea i didn't have furniture Mm -hmm. in london and they're all so small you can't have a giant 16 pound cat splayed out and have room for a book or a laptop so Mm -hmm. i have a kitchen table for a desk to accommodate his habits
0: so now now we should move on to you as well but so you've moved all the way across the Atlantic as well. Um, set up this new apartment in Brooklyn and you're back teaching already. How's the move been for you? How's the new work?
7: Uh, so everything, as you might expect, Transatlantic moves are never smooth. Uh, mm-hmm. I got new version COVID. Yes, I puked. Please, you really don't want to get vaccinated. Uh, but um, I, I'm really excited to be here. I've had a really lovely reception in Brooklyn, people, especially at the New York Review of Architecture and the Cleveland Review of Books, which, confusingly, a a bunch of the staffers and editors, some of them live here in Brooklyn, some of them drive up from Cleveland for events. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had a really, really nice like communal reception here from other writers that made me feel really welcome right away. And... um, after all the Ikea furniture was assembled uh, and after the 40 boxes of books arrived and I had to uh, unpack and flatten those boxes. Let's not discuss that. I'd rather obliterate that from my memory. Mm-hmm. My sister actually got me a fantastic yellow velvet couch, which I think a lot of people who know me in the literary world may have seen on Twitter because it became my author photo. And mm-hmm. now I just spent all my time with the cat, you know, perched on my yellow velvet couch adjacent to piles and, and shelves. Um, but I'm really excited about my teaching. I'm at IDM at NYU Tandon. Um, and IDM used to stand for interdisciplinary media and now stands for integrated digital media. It doesn't really matter. It's one of those things like KFC. But um, what it is, is a special sort of arts and media program with an engineering school. And because my next book is about art and technology, um, I'm the critic in residence there. And I'm also a- an adjunct professor, because they wanted to let me teach some. Mm-hmm. So I started teaching this fall term with a small criticism seminar. And I'm also helping the students um, as part of a grant project, start like a little in-house magazine. Um, So it's been crazy because new institution, new country mm-hmm. uh, right away. But uh, I love my colleagues and I love the students. Um, I know people think engineers, you know, whatever, Apple or something, but it's it's a no Department of Defense floor. So there's no defense contracting, there's mm. no, it's very, um, I think it's a majority minority majority female PIs in the oh. department, which is very rare for engineering. Mm. It's a very welcoming environment, actually much more aligned with my values than most of the UK is right now. Um, I walked into a building with gender neutral uh, bathrooms that were disability accessible with union posters in them after living in a country that had panicked about possible trans people using their possible bathrooms. Mm. And that was such a relief. Um, <laughs> and my students are so excited and really want to have the humanities as part of their lives. So it's been a really exciting change. Um, and I'm happy to be here, although still a little shell shocked on some internal level.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm. Very sure. I want to ask you about We the Parasites because I came out earlier in the year from Sublunar. I told you I was going to stuff up names. They came out earlier in the year.
7: (laughs) Um, I should just point out that if for our British listeners or people ordering in the EU or from the British publisher, um, Boiler House uh, has issued the British edition as of Mm -hmm. November 30. And it's in their Beyond Criticism series, which is like a dual academic series with UEA, but you could just get it um, on the regular Boiler House website and lots of distributors in Europe as well for both editions.
0: Cool. Yes, it was one of those books that came out um, and I read it when it came out uh, in the non-UK edition, so much earlier in the year. And it's one of the best, most interesting books that I read during the year. It was certainly a highlight for me in terms of what you covered because it was so much of it was totally new to me and and you looked at things in such a different way. But I want to ask you, how was the reception to that book now that it's been out for a little while, at least in the U.S.? And how's the U.K. edition going?
7: Um, well, the U.K. edition just came out. So obviously people have requested review copies, but we haven't seen the reviews yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S., it's been really positive. Uh, and it's one of those books, I think, that takes, it, it gains momentum a little more slowly, but then sort of snowballs. Um, So recently, there have been reviews in like the Brooklyn Rail and a couple of other places that have been um, my friend Kate Wagner reviewed it in the New York Review of Architecture. It's been really positively reviewed. And that's been a joy um, to see um, people discover it. And I think it's one of those books that maybe will sell more copies in year five than Mm -hmm. it will in year one. And I mean, it was written to last. So it's not a zeitgeisty book. It's not trying to sell anything about criticism or make anything you know hot or timely it's it's really supposed to be a a book that lasts so Mm. I'm actually gonna be I'm more excited I'm excited to see what people think in five years or 15 as well
0: yeah cool and tell me about the new book because you were talking about that uh when we spoke earlier in the year but tell me about how the progress on the new one's going
7: um well obviously the move interrupted everything Mm. um and I'm still, I'm writing the sort of a fourth of the book about that goes with the proposal. I'm in, I'm, I'm thinking about a talks with a publisher, but I can't really talk about that, but until it's like a real contract, but mm-hmm. I'm working on a very bespoke kind of proposal. And one of the things I'm doing for that is writing a sample chapter. And I, I read for the first time, a little bit of it at uh, a Cleveland Review of Books issue launch. And that was um, really exciting, and terrifying. Um, it's so the first, it's it's about art and technology, loosely speaking, but mm. it, among technology, I include, you know, the calendar and uh, the folio. So, um, you know, tech day in the broadest possible sense. Uh, mm. And it uses those points of inquiry as a kind of way to dive in to the new fragilities and vulnerabilities that um, living in a technologically mediated world entails. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like Way The Parasites, it will be a book length essay. It's not like freelance pieces that are just reprinted or whatever, because lots of people do that. And at this point, if you can read all those pieces for free on the internet, buying an expensive book of them seems sort of unfair. Yeah. Um, In fact, I'm really interested in the book as a form. Mm. So it's not just, oh, I wrote a bunch of essays and now here they all are collected. No, it's a book um, and it's meant to be read as a book, um, like Parasites was, but I am working on the sort of initial chapter, um, which I think probably will shape what I tell you about my reading for the new year. Uh, So yeah, I'm very excited about it. And I'm excited about the opportunity to also explore formal challenge and risk um, that Parasites kind of opened to me in terms of writing in a style that is atypical, both for lyrical nonfiction or for anything kind of critical right now.
0: Yeah. I like how you found this almost new form of this kind of writing because it has this like amazing personal touch to it and yet still conforms to a lot of those, I guess, ideas of of what criticism of art can be. I thought it was, yeah, really interesting.
7: I mean, I was really influenced sort of like starting from Montaigne with the Mm. essay as a wandering toward truth. And then, of course, W.G. Sebald Mm. and Sontag, and a lot of other modern influences. Um, but, you know, the essay as forum has been so constricted in mm. our recent memory that I kind of wanted to go back to the essays of this capacious thing. Mm. Um, and I'm not really interested in people who think that criticism can somehow be objective, that there's not Intrinsically a subjective first person. I like to think about this in terms of Herodotus and Thucydides, because of course Herodotus uses the first person to write mm. history, and Thucydides refers to himself in the third person in his own history of the Peloponnesian War, during which he was ostracized. I might add. <laughs> um, and you know, you'd like to believe, right? All writers of history like to believe they can be the objective, distant Thucydides that they can strip the personal from their work, when in reality, history is always me mediated by our personal, academic, and other biases. I mean, this is why we have historiography as a discipline, right? Mm -hmm. And so my writing is very much invested in dropping the pretense that there is an unmediated subjectivity. And I think a lot of critique of the personal essay focused on the sort of things that happened in the 2000s on the internet where people would write these very essays about the self Mm -hmm. um, that were often very revealing and sometimes exploitative of the subject for clicks. And, you know, maybe those more useful as criticism to some people, but I don't think that invalidates the personal as a form of inquiry. And I think there's this long, rich tradition of effective writing that um, narrative history as a framework since the Victorian period is sort of obliterated. I mean, when you look at popular histories of like, you know, American presidents or whatever that you buy in airports or train stations, um, they don't use the first person in that that way and Mm. i'm interested in in the subjectivities and cruelties and joys of history Mm. um and i don't think you can do that without the first person so i'm excited to push that to its its logical limits and, and beyond
0: cool all right let's talk about the books you enjoyed in 2023
7: so i think i hope other critics will say this too but i think for us um first of all, I don't really think of time in terms of years. My year, I guess, sort of starts in the fall with the academic calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'll talk about also how I've reconceived my notions of time in the calendar through the Japanese calendar of Nara in, in a second. But um, I think the end of this year for us, I thought that the, it was important to return not only to Fanon and Said and all the sources we typically go to on Palestine, but also to Adorno and the idea of the purpose of the post-war education. So I'm going back to Benjamin and going back to Adorno this year and trying to think what an ethical response in light of that means. And I think a lot of other people in my position are doing similar things. And I know that sounds strange, but it has also kind of brought me back to the literature of extremity um, because, you know, sound tags regarding the pain of others and the essay she wrote on Abu Ghraib images right before she died are, are really relevant right now. But I've also been reading the plays of Sarah Kane again. Um she, she died when, by suicide when she was 28 and the plays were themselves kind of sensationalized when they were produced. But they're really important, I think crucial works of literature about how we think about violence and images of violence. And I'm sure someone else will talk about William Bowman um mm. in this context as well. But um this is also twins with the start of my new book. And I didn't think that these were going to be separable events, right? So I had planned a chapter um, thinking about time on the internet and how time on the internet seems to pass differently. And I've been thinking a lot about the subseasonal calendar of the traditional Japanese court at Nara because I was reading a lot of 10th century Heian waka poetry. Um, and so I was trying to think about that and it became clear to me that you couldn't separate the two things, that there was no world in which I could begin to write where this had not happened. And then in fact, it would be sort of atrocious to do so. So I started to think about the brutalized world and images of brutalization and suffering and how we think about time online. And for me, that became a way of, I kept reading Waka poetry. I've been reading a wonderful Sort of uh, academic text on Japan's four seasons in its own national cultural and literary history by Hario Shirane, um, who's at Columbia. I've been reading translations of the Kokinshu. Uh, I think by an Australian Torquil Duffy. Okay, um, sure. yeah, and so I've been sort of trying to use that, and the the first chapter of the new book uses that alongside a discussion of the brutalization of images and actually Watteau and the French Rocaille, which sounds like things that don't go together, but in fact, I promise you they do go together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've been reading a lot of really disparate, but also interconnected things at the end of this year that have sort of come to the fore. And actually my year tends to be divided by seasons of obsession, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm working on a particular essay or a particular book chapter and it's for the period of time where I'm working on that thing, I'm reading those those subjects. And then time moves when the piece moves. So you can mm-hmm. sort of, my year isn't divided into 72 subseasons or four seasons or or anything quite so calendrical so much as what am I writing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sometimes have trouble remembering what I read in what year or, or thinking about it in terms of years because uh, I actually find the whole exercise of, I mean, it's it's fine if you want to keep track, you know, for yourself just so you don't reread things or what you think about what you thought. But I find the whole exercise of people who keep track of the number of books they read or, you know, in America, there used to be these programs like in like fourth grade where you would get a personal pan pizza if you read a certain number of books. And mm. it's like, you're not going to get a gold star sticker or a personal pan pizza, you know. You should be reading for your own purposes. Like There's mm. no one to validate you for some sort of weird neoliberal commodification of your own thought. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's important when we talk about what we read to not sort of validate the idea of, oh, well, I read two books a day or whatever, um, because it's about what you do with the knowledge and, and how it affects you and how it changes the
0: world. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, I will ask, did you read much else in 2023 with all your moving? I assume that you,
7: um, I did. So one of the, um, so it's funny because I have the Goncourt essay on French 18th century painting sitting on my desk, which is probably mm. not what you were thinking. Mm. But one of the things I have been enjoying is um, the Garden of Seven Twilights, oh, wow. which is yeah. a chunk of a book mm. from Dalkey. It's a translated Catalan novel by Miquel de Palau, and it's translated by Adrian Nathan West. And I really, it's it's sort of a Borgesian romp, mm. and I've been enjoying I've been enjoying that. Um, and um in sort of before I moved, I was reading a lot of um I reread Whitman. I was trying to reread some more American sources to contend with coming back to the US. Yeah. Um, so yeah, i I've 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 managed to get some reading in, surprisingly.
0: Wow. That's it actually is surprising because you told me you had COVID and then walking pneumonia.
7: Yeah. And exactly. letting you move
0: with a cat. So
7: Yeah, I mean, so because I was reading both before and after I moved in fact i was reading to write in in some way
0: wow well now that you've got your apartment set up and you're free of covid and walking pneumonia and i assume free of transatlantic moves tell me what you're going to read in 2024
7: so i'm still working on the sort of opening salvo of the next book which Mm -hmm. i I mentioned includes the french for high so I have always preferred German as a language. Oh my God, please don't hate me listeners. And, and, you know, the classical languages, because it felt to me, German felt more like the classical languages than French did. And French always scared me on some level that German never did. Um, I I can read French, but I'm terrified of speaking it. Mm -hmm. Um, But this year I think is my year of having to contend with France. Mm -hmm. Uh, France is sneaking into my life again. Um, so I'm thinking a lot about Watteau, about Fragonard, about, about you know, this period of the Rokai, because there's been so much really great art historical and other critical writing like T.J. Clark on the French Revolution, um, that it's natural for someone whose interests like mine are to say, well, wait, you know, what about the conditions of hypercapital that precede this revolution that might mm. in fact be more parallel to ours? But also the fact that I find the images beautiful and that that troubles me because mm-hmm. politically it should trouble me but at the same time like I'm, I'm not going to not think a Watteau is beautiful right even though I think the French courtly system is sort of a towering edifice of oppression mm-hmm. um so I'm trying to deal with the French Rukai <laughs> um and so I'm, I'm I'm rereading like Moliere and Diderot and all these sort of very classic French sources and I mentioned the Goncourt. Um, the Fragoncourt and their diary was reissued a while ago, I think in the early 2000s by the NYRB. And I read it at the time, I think I was in college, but I'm gonna go back to that because it's such a it's such a delicious sort of thing to read at night, just read a little bit of, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't have the translation to hand or I'd recommend the the translation in particular. Um, so yeah, right now my time is spent between sort of 10th century Japanese poetry and the French Rukai and dealing with the idea of France in my head being scary you know you'd think I'd find hand Japan a little scarier given the bigger linguistic gap but actually French France is much scarier um and uh, um the, another thing I'm reading or I'm rereading rather is uh the Japan, This text called "The Japanness in Architecture." Sorry, the noise you heard was me knocking things off my shelves, listeners. Um, but the Japanness in Architecture by Arata Isozaki, because I'm thinking about how we construct futures and radical futures and cities and possible worlds. And um, I've always loved post-war Japanese architecture. That's one of the reasons I learned some Japanese during the pandemic and tried to go to Japan, but you know, as you know, it was closed. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about that as a natural extension and reaction to sort of the codification of Heian period, courtly norms as a nationalist gesture. And how do we think about that? Um, because there is this Western tendency to fetishize Japan as some kind of pure thing or purity. And mm. it, it it's it's very much not. It's a country with a history like any mm. other one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Isozaki who worked most of his career in the U S at Columbia and MIT actually really speaks to this, uh, in architectural terms. And so I'm sort of coming back to the intertwined histories of nationalism and parody, and how we contend with suffering. And obviously Isozaki, um, he was born living across, he lived until he was 10, 11 across from the ruins of Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. So it's about, you know, living in a world that is brutalized and horrible but how do we imagine a better future or, or, or even a future at all right mm-hmm. um so I'm trying to think about that juxtaposed with the the timeless kind of idyll of the Fette Galante and the moment in the French work high that almost feels offensively uh soft
3: okay cool I know okay. that
7: was a really weird answer but <laughs> I get obsessed with what I'm writing and that sort of becomes what's timely to me, even though 10th Century Japan is not particularly new for 2024.
0: Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Are there any other books coming out that aren't, I guess, in line with your writing stuff that you're looking forward to?
7: So one of the things about moving was that every single PR person now doesn't have my address. And I haven't Mm. been writing as many reviews because I've been doing the book. So I actually don't get galleys now. I haven't gotten New Directions galleys. I haven't gotten New York Review Book galleys. I should probably do something about this, but I haven't. I haven't got galleys for for new things. So I actually don't mm. know until I uh. see things now. And so that's one of the reasons why I, I, I didn't come prepared with like a list, um, because I actually I actually don't know what's happening in twenty twenty four beyond you know books that are published by people I happen to know personally, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just it's kind of weird being in the position of just like a person who walks into a bookstore again and doesn't know like the publishing calendar but i actually i've been really excited about um the revive book forum Mm. um i have a paper copy sitting on my desk wow uh i'm excited about that um Mm. if i ever get to write freelance again because i've complete i'm teaching undergrads next term and i'm i'm sort of writing the book but if i ever get to write freelance again um, I would like to to do something for a book forum and think about um, sort of, sort of new releases in maybe twenty four twenty twenty four twenty five. But I actually haven't seen any of them. So, uh, when I see them in the bookstores, when I'll know.
0: Cool. We'll listen to this as well because there'll be plenty of good recommendations. Yeah,
7: I'm sure other critics. And you know, I tend to see things like on the internet or mm. sort of through word of mouth. Um. So you know, I'm sure. When I listen to the episode, there will be 15 things I have to buy. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, I'll try to keep it to 15. Probably won't.
7: Yeah, I mean, more, I'm sure. But um, Mm. I am doing an event. So my birthday is in January, which is an excuse to go on a spending spree in terms of books. But I'm also doing an event with the author Sheila Lemming, who wrote Hanging Out, but also um, a book on office history and design. She Mm. is a friend of mine and also has a cat named Louis, although he is white. He's white. Uh, and floofy not black and floofy but she is doing an event on the 12th if you guys are in new york city any of you listening to this at pnt knitwear which is a bookstore not a knitwear store i know i had to learn that too it's it's a bookstore and like indie event space so i will probably come home with just like a giant canvas tote full of new titles oh very dangerous and sheila's book is called hanging out it's coming out in paperback um a lot of hanging out for me is of course talking about books with other book nerds. Mm. Um so yeah, I mean I'm still I'm not I'm still finishing the Garden of Seven Twilights because I keep interrupting myself to write. So hopefully that's my sort of once I grade my student papers. Yeah. And I think you know how that feels that's my Christmas break treat, I guess. <laughs> um, is that and then uh yeah I'm excited. I think I might be going into a Balzac phase as well, which is dangerous because there's so much Balzac. Yeah. And I think there are some new translations that have come out that I'd like to read. So um, I'm always interested not only in new literature but also new translations of older texts.
0: Yeah, there's a heap I... of new translation stuff coming out next year, like retranslated things. Such as? Uh, I think oh. there's there's new Celine coming out. Um, there's
7: oh, wow. oh, I know New Directions has been redoing some Celine with pretty cool covers. Yeah, as well. Um...
0: There's The Obscene Bed of Night um, by Donozo, which is also coming out in New. There's Pedro Paramo, which I think may already be out, but new translation of that. There's heaps of new stuff in translation. I
7: always, I mean, as someone who is forced to learn languages by dint of academic and other interests, but is actually not that linguistically talented and therefore cannot relax into reading French, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, I'm always delighted um, when new translations, I, I, Matthias Enard's. You know, newest by Charlotte Mandel, for instance. Mm. Uh, that was by Clement. Frank
0: Wynn, the new one, I think, wasn't it? Well, the oh, no, it was. By no, was, Frank.
7: was it? Was it Charlotte or was it Frank? I, I, I'm pretty I sure it was Frank. Both...
0: I think Charlotte needs to take a break. I'm pretty sure it was Frank. Actually, I know I it was admire... Frank because I talked to him.
7: <laughs> I admire both Frank and Charlotte very deeply as yeah. translators and also for the gift of being able to relax into NR. Because, like, yeah. if I was reading in French, I'd have to work, you know. Whereas when I'm reading one of their translations, I it just becomes an automatic of read for me. Like my brain doesn't process it as other language anymore. Um, And so uh, I owe them for the experience of Anar. Yeah, that that is something uh, I should mention for this year is the Gravediggers, the annual Mm. dinner of the Gravediggers Guild, which is a translation of Anar, which came out by Frank Wynn, I believe, with Geraldo. And I still, um, I always buy books. So I like the way Fitzgeraldo editions look for Mm. certain books. So I buy them, but I also buy books from Lolly, which is um, a Scandinavian lit and translation publisher, but they're based in the Barbican in London, and they publish really beautiful editions. Like, they did an edition of Olga Ravens, The Employees, that I think was just, like, the best cover design of years, and they publish really cool um, stuff. One of the things I read from them was uh, Harold Wirtman's books, both Awake and Sublunar, which are... um, historical fiction one was about Pliny, and one was about taiko braai but they're man- they're probably going to be a i think a quartet when they're finished and okay. they just um i tend to order the lolly ones from abroad which yeah. sounds crazy but uh they're beautiful design and they're different translations also sometimes new directions will publish a different translation in the u.s i actually really? have both right and it's kind of crazy actually how it seems like scandinavian literature is having a moment because of the fosse nobel yeah and I, I might this is maybe the time to admit that I'm not like a giant full person, <laughs> um. But I do I've actually been reading a lot of translated Danish and other literature. So yeah, because uh, there's been some really interesting stuff in like speculative fiction that has happened. Jenny Vall and Ogo Raven. Uh, are writing in ways that I haven't found in English. And mm. I don't know. I've always read a lot of literature and translation. So I tend to get things that weren't actually written that year because of course translations come out a little later.
0: Yeah, for sure. Especially in So, English. I
7: tend, so 2024, like every year, I think we'll be we'll be in debt to translators. Mm. And there's there's no way in hell I'm learning data. Like I mean, I can't learn any languages sufficiently anymore. I think my brain is done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Got to that ceiling point of languages.
7: Well, I mean, also, it's just something like Japanese. Yeah, I know s- enough to like be functional in a city and make sure the onigiri I'm buying isn't back gluten-free in a convenience store. Yeah. But other than that, like, I mean, that's not going to help me read 10th century hidden poetry. That's like learning some baby modern English and expecting to read Beowulf. Like that's yeah. that's the linguistic difference there. And mm. I mean, like even the character systems have changed the pronunciation, has changed, you know. So at best, it will give me an approximate some approximate idea of what I'm doing right but like especially with a a non-western language to someone who's not particularly linguistically challenged challenging I mean it's it's just an idea of uh, your own incompetence that's kind of wonderful you Mm -hmm. you understand just how much you're missing in a language so I I mean this is like every year a year in which I am profoundly grateful for translation yeah and translators whose names should be on the cover This Agreed. is a thing that have been trying to get done for major publishers and that's something Nadalki actually did with Seven Twilights, which I, I admire, but uh, it's frequently not the case. Uh, I don't think New Directions did it with the Votman and they should. Um, yeah. If you're printing literature and translation in 2024, please, and you hear this, please put the translator's name on the cover.
0: It's um, everyone... that that message goes out to you guys especially. Oh,
7: yeah, you in particular, Yeah, Jacques Tatar, if you are listening to this, why aren't your translator's name on the cover? Yes, I know it messes with your minimalist design scheme, but, like, come on, think about it.
0: Yeah, yes, I know that New Directions are definitely getting much better at it. Um, New Directions are <laughs> getting there slowly.
7: I mean, we're getting out of this really bad era of cover design,
0: Yeah,
7: Uh, we we had the book blob and the sort of sans serif situation here in the U.S., but these are actually New Directions books are actually really beautifully designed Mm -hmm. and they publish Helen DeWitt, whom I love for her Mm -hmm. commitment to challenge and her commitment to language, especially non-Anglophone language. And so I think they might be a publisher to watch in terms of commitment to translators and hopefully putting the names on the cover.
0: Yeah. You know who does that very well? I'll give you two so um uh, fde um from stamper editions they do that very well um, oh I
7: we have a bunch of their books i love them yes
0: yeah they're awesome and also heloise press also do that very well so
7: and actually shout out to sublunary my publisher in the u.s they definitely do that Josh's, mm. and i also um two sort of blogs for people who are interested in literature and translation minor lit's Mm-hmm. and the untranslated often yeah. andre the untranslated reads things before i will get to them by years because he just has the linguistic capacity that i just lack and it makes me so jealous um yeah. um and there's just a, such a tantalizing little bonbon right of like the world that you know is there but you can't quite pierce the veil to yeah um
0: i always thought it'd be funny if like you'd start like you could start a literature blog and just do fictional works that are out in other languages. But that'd be completely non-existent. So you just start would, this blog about, you know, works that don't exist. It'd be like a would, like Borges would, kind of thing.
7: Yeah, I mean, I would love that actually. Mm. Um, last night I was so one of my investigations into brutalization has been to re- return to the films of Lars von Trier. But this one wasn't particularly brutal. Um, this it was called. It's called the film. It's called the Five Obstructions, and mm-hmm. uh, he takes another filmmaker whose film he admires. And he makes him remake the film in five different ways using five obstructions. And mm-hmm. it's it's a formalist exercise, but it's really fun to watch. Yeah. And really fun to think about what you would have done. And I was joking that I, on the Twitter, but it might actually become a reality that, that I really wanted to see criticism written with obstructions or book reviews. And one of the one of obstructions must be, you must review a book that doesn't exist.
0: Okay, um, that's cool.
7: Or write a review without adjectives or... Mm.
0: So it's a very Uh, Alipa kind of concept.
7: Yeah, I mean, Mm. so this is this film, I mean, so this film was made in like 2001. It's it's Alipa, but it's it's very visual and it's very Mm. much about him interrogating like the human condition of his own mentor and the things he makes him do very much push some boundaries. Mm. Um, And it's actually really relevant to literary thinking and i was just excited to see it and i was talking about it with friends in this way so yeah i'm all for a blog of reviews of books that don't exist
0: mm. cool all right i think we should do that i think it would be really fun
7: yeah i mean also it would i mean we all have deep wants right as critics for things that should exist in the world mm. of literature um that we want someone to rate but not us
3: yeah mm. um, okay
7: and I mean, there's idea. no better way of revealing what those are by accident than forcing yourself to review a book that doesn't exist. Mm. I mean, we all love these sort of Borgesian exercises, partly because they reveal something about who we are.
0: It's a very good idea. I like it. I always wanted to review the books um, that <laughs> Bolaño is looking at in 2666, like the books in the background of that book by by Archambaldi. I think that would be really fun. I, I mean, wish someone always- would write those books.
7: There are a bunch of fake footnotes to scholarly Mm. work in the Garden of Seven Twilights and and the Four Wars of Entertainment and the works that have supposedly been written on the Four Wars of Entertainment. So, Mm. I mean, I'm sure someone has done this, but essays about all the fictional works and works of fiction that themselves cite non-existent works would be fun, too.
0: Definitely. So, yeah, maybe one thing
7: for 2024 is books that don't exist.
0: Cool. Oh, okay, I like that. It would save me some time, that's for sure.
7: Well, would it? I, I mean,
8: I think so. Well, never, it would save me just, time reading.
7: Just because it doesn't exist <laughs> in the world, I mean, doesn't mean it. Well, it might take you longer to write a, a review of a book that doesn't exist than a review that one the one that does.
0: Maybe I don't know. we we'll you out. have to
7: make? I mean, you have to make the book right as well as your. <laughs>
0: <book>? <laughs> oh, we could see. I don't know. Interesting concept. We'll work on this. We'll workshop it.
7: Workshop it, yeah.
0: Definitely. All right. I should let you go and enjoy the rest of your day in Brooklyn. And also, um, yeah, give Lewis a pat for all of us.
7: I'm going for a walk in Prospect Park, which will make the cat mad because I'm leaving the apartment, but will make me happy. And it has a lot of sort of neoclassical um touches, which always makes me think of parasites because I think of the long tail of antiquarianism a mm. lot in the book and so uh i always feel like a cliche of myself smiling at them in the park mm. but i will also be going to my local bodega which with which i have developed a codependent relationship in typical new york fashion i am a horrible mm. cook so it's me and the cold cuts um they give me more cold cuts than i deserve sometimes and i feel blessed
0: so Is the cat like cold cuts uh,
7: he likes cheese actually he doesn't eat regular treats Mm. Um, he's totally uninterested in like cat treats or things yeah. for cats but he loves cheese so whenever I'm eating something with cheese in it he very much wants a piece of cheese and mm-hmm. will get in my face while I'm eating a sandwich until I give him a piece of cheese um, so you know in addition to his many literary interests such as sitting on books and sitting mm-hmm. on drafts and obstructing my access to drafts his other interest is cheese which is a good for many of us as well Hmm. that our other interests are besides books are cheese or chocolate or whichever he doesn't get cho- bad for cats bad for but cats. yes I will make sure that the Tufts reads for 2024 are well documented on in photographs and I hope your whole audience um has a wonderful new year
0: brilliant thank you so much and good to see you landed safely with the Tufts in New York so yeah, yeah hopefully we'll chat us. next year
7: we have a yellow velvet couch.
0: Is it covered in black cat hair?
7: I mean, it was partly bought to show off his birth. Like, that's partly what <laughs> I bought. That. So, yes, but I do lint roll it somewhat, semi compulsively. And I will <laughs> lint roll it before any visitors came, in case anyone is wondering. Excellent. I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast, people I know will hear. Oh my God. All right, <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs>
8: Outside
3: is frightful, but the fire is so delightful since we've no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping. And
0: I brought some
3: corn for popping.
0: Now we hear from Mark A. Henry. Let it Welcome snow, to the NBD show, Mark A. Henry. How are
4: you? Uh, I'm great. Happy holidays to you, Ben.
0: Thank you. Well, you've had a big year. Uh, we spoke about the Honolulu situation fairly recently. Tell us about
4: how your year's been, and then we'll move on to what you've been reading. Uh, yeah, my year's been great. Um, the Honolulu situation, my second novel came out uh, in the fall, uh, and it's been doing well. And um, I appreciate everything you've done to help me out with that, Ben. Um and for uh, for 2024, um, I'm actually looking forward to a couple books that uh, I've learned about on Beyond the Zero, um, uh, The Supply Chain by Aaron Schneider, um, Late uh, by Michael Fitzgerald. I've already started, and uh, I think I'm going to uh, try to pick up The Golem of Brooklyn, uh, also by uh, Adam Mansbach and their, um, um, authors that I've learned about through your show. So, uh, so thank you for that. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Brilliant. And so, do you want to tell us about some of your highlights of reading in 2023? Um, uh, Again, yeah, thanks to you, Ben. uh, I've been uh, plowing my way through Gravity's Rainbow, um, which, uh, again, I can credit you with sort of uh, steering me toward. um, And uh, yeah, I'm finding it uh, just like, you know, walking in a a forest where every tree is the most beautiful tree you've ever seen, you know, the, the wording and the sentences that novel or uh spectacular uh but i can't say i can really see where i'm going in the in the forest yet but i I suspect that's uh that's the design you're there not to journey from one side of the forest to the other you're there to admire the trees and have a close-up look at uh some of these things that you might not normally uh be focusing on Mm, excellent and so what else what else are some of your highlights for 2023 um let's see um I read um, uh, a little Vonnegut, you know, every now and then I like to pick up uh, Slaughterhouse Five or God, God bless, bless you, Mr. Rosewater. Um, you know, uh, I just, I just like the sound of his his voice and uh, I, uh, I like to, uh, you know, go over those novels. I mean, those are short novels you can read in an afternoon, you know, they're, uh, they're light yet dense, if you get my meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also this year um i enjoyed um uh, the maniac which was sort of a semi uh fictional semi non-fictional novel um about um johnny van newman who was a, a scientist in the early half of the uh 1900s and uh, how his discoveries kind of led up to uh things that are still affecting us in the modern age uh i found that very interesting too cool okay
0: and before we go do you have Will you get to a new book next year, do you think?
4: Like when will your new book be out? Uh, it's still in the early stages. Um, this time next year would be a, a best case scenario. Um, but um, stay tuned and uh, and find out. You can uh, try to track my progress uh, based on the desperation of my tweets and stuff that I send up on social media. <laughs> Have you got a title yet? Um the the working title sort of the code name title is the ABC.
0: Okay. Interesting. All right.
4: And I don't mean to be too cryptic about that. That may end up being the actual title but uh for now that's sort of that's just what's typed on the uh, on the cover page and uh for now that's what it is.
0: Brilliant. All right. Well, I will let you go. Um very very happy holidays to you. Enjoy spending time with the family and Good luck for your writing for next year.
4: Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate it. Happy holidays to you too.
0: Our final guest for part two is Peter Orner. Welcome back to the show, Peter
8: Orner. Ah, uh, thank you, Ben. Great to great to be with you. It's such a good time last time, and it's great to great to see you. What what time is it there? It is. It's eight twenty
0: five. So I should get to work uh, fairly soon. <laughs> but yeah.
8: 25 in the morning.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, last time we spoke it was about your book, um, Still No Word from You. That's the title, isn't it? Right. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. How's your how's your year been? Uh,
8: a little crazy, busy, yeah. you know, work and, and deadlines and all that. But um but yeah, you know, crazy things in the world. You know, it's a strange time, but uh all is good generally.
0: Cool. Personally. And you told me you told me just before you got a new book coming up soon.
8: Uh yeah, uh I just turned it in. Um it'll be out in uh May twenty a year from this next May. So So twenty twenty five. May May twenty five, yeah. Cool.
0: Which Can feels give a us- long time,
8: but but in you know, in the book universe is kind of tomorrow. So yeah. I have a lot of work to do. Can you give us happened.
0: a bit of like a idea of what it's gonna
8: be? It's a novel, uh, my first in I don't know, 14 years. Wow. Fifteen years. It'll be 15 <laughs> years when it comes out. Uh, and it's been in the works for about that long, really. Wow. Um, it's uh it's set in Chicago. Um, and it's about uh uh two couples that are that are friends, and it's about the end of their friendship and why okay. they're really tight couples. Um I'm very interested in like friendship as a thing and and why friendships you know end and i think we spent a lot of time talking about why love ends like yeah. love story like a, you know but like romantic love and friendship is often <laughs> intertwined there yeah. but um but i'm very interested in why friendships end and that's what this book is about there's a death of maybe a murder um of a okay. um of an actress and uh, based on a true story. Cool. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Though I have to wait. So. <laughs>
8: it's called a gossip columnist's daughter. Okay. That's what it's called.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. I should ask you about some of your reading highlights for 2023.
8: Sure. You know, I'm a t- I'm I'm the slowest reader in the universe. You know, I can I can be reading a book for months. I re- I've been reading Light in August now for what's what's it November? Yeah. I've definitely been reading it since the beginning of September. Okay. And I'm it's a great book
0: there. It. You can just sit there on that book for ages.
8: Totally. Totally yeah. paragraph by paragraph, sentence mm. by sentence, right? Um, yeah. and uh, and I you know I hadn't remember I've read it but I hadn't remembered it um mm. at all. And ha- I hadn't remember particularly liking it compared to other books by Faulkner, but um it's extraordinary. Absolutely. Mm. Extraordinary. And so I'm immersed in that at the moment. I'm reading a a Tom Drury book called, uh, shit, what's it called? It's got a weird title, Displaced Area or something like that. Tom Tom Drury, kind of a, kind of a cultish novelist, American novelist, um, should be better known. He wrote a book called The End of Vandalism and a book called Pacific. All great. And this one is I'm blanking on the name of the book I'm reading, but it's a, the title itself is kind of not a script and the yeah. book itself is not a script. And that's why it's wonderful. It's a, it's a terrific, um, uh, kind of noir, strange. It's like Midwestern noir. Yeah. What did
0: you say the title was? Well,
8: it, displaced area, but that's not it.
0: I think it's the driftless
8: area. I'm just looking it up. Yes. Here. Yes. Okay, yes. There you go. Yeah. See how that would be for kind of forgettable though. Yeah. The drifts area. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm reading that, which I love, uh, I'm reading, uh, um, uh, what am I reading what else? Have I read this year? Um, uh, I've, <laughs> I feel bad. I should be coming up with more. Uh, I've been reading a lot of Primo Levi mm. Uh, response to the, the stuff that's going on with yeah. Israel and Hamas, and I, I, um, as as kind of a way of kind of handling that personally, mm. I, I turned to to Primo Levi, who has a lot to say about um how 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 one responds to violence, yeah. Um, and so I've been sort of immersed in 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 in, in Levi, particularly a book called Moments of Reprieve. I've been reading lately. Um, And uh, I've been reading uh, the poetry of a a wonderful poet um, named Taylor Johnson. Uh, And the book is called Inheritance, I think. And it's a terrific collection of poetry. And... um, yeah I I really uh love it. Um they're pro some of them are prose poems and some of them are, are not and they're just uh, gorgeous. Um I met Johnson uh, a couple years ago and um found them to be delightful um and 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 discovered the poetry and uh, and just been I spent a lot of, I I just took an Amtrak train from uh, Boston to Chicago. And yeah. I spent much of the train ride reading, um, reading uh, Johnson's poetry. Okay, awesome, very cool. There's one poem about um, driving in uh, a grandfather's uh, Lincoln town car from the from uh, from the farm to the town, and it's just a great evocation of what that what that's like. They're all in the front seat. Yeah, um, it's great. So
0: cool. Should we move on to some of the things you're looking forward to in 2024?
8: Sure. Um, I'm teaching a class on Virginia Woolf uh, next term. And so I'm all about Virginia Woolf. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I do when I teach uh, sometimes is I always teach something I haven't read before just to make it sort of kind of uh, surprising to me, you know? (laughs) So I'm forcing myself to read the waves which I've tried to read numerous times, mm. but I have to now because I'm teaching it. Well, I sort of. have. Yeah. Sometimes if yeah, I shouldn't say. <laughs> but um, so uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I know it's a, it's a book that it's a little sleepy, you know. Mm. But I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. Have you read the waves?
0: Yeah, not for ages though. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely yeah. more. It's, it's probably down the list for me for Virginia Woolf, but
8: yeah. yeah. Be like, four I mean, some people like it seems like it's just like this kind of like maybe it's a failed experiment. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think the people who love it think that, yeah. but I'm interested in like the potential. And that's how I've always felt when I've read it in the past is when I haven't finished it, is because I just felt she went too far, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and she forgot about us. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Mrs. Dalloway and the lighthouse, she didn't forget about us, but in the mm-hmm. wave, she's deep in her own head. And I kind of want to look at I want to look at it in a sense of how it fails, at least for me, at least okay. how it failed. Then maybe, maybe if I actually now read it, yeah. I'm going to feel.
3: Okay,
8: cool. That's my, that's what I'm looking for. And I'm going to be reading all of the great, I'm teaching a class where I'm, you know, I don't know if you had this in college, but you take, I take these like survey English classes where you read like Moby Dick, every, you know, every, you know, type. Um, you'd, you'd read like, 18 books in a term. Yeah. And there was no possible way. To get it done, yeah. In the universe. And, and you know, I was basically listening to the professor blab on about what they thought of these books. Yeah. You didn't read them. Mm. So in my class, I'm doing, we're doing three books.
0: Okay. You know, That's
8: manageable. So yeah. So, and they're actually going to read them and they're going to remember having read them. Yeah. What books are you doing? That's my plan. To, uh, Mrs. Dalloway to the Lighthouse and the Waves. Awesome. Bam, bam, bam.
0: Yeah. Those three cool yeah. Yeah. yeah mrs dalloway into uh, the lighthouse are just they're, they're spectacular yeah and then
8: and then i just thought like all right well this is the same person that created these books that i love so dearly
3: mm-hmm.
8: what about this one that i that i that I haven't fallen in love with and 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 you know and, and i i think in in her mind as far as i understand so this was the kind of the the grand finale mm-hmm. even though yeah. I, I believe it's not her last book but um i forget what was her last book but anyway. It goes on too long I think the way <laughs> but we'll see we'll see so that's what I'm looking forward to uh I'm carrying around with me um the Graham Green what's the great Graham Green novel white American no
0: another one which
3: one
8: Mexico set in Mexico
0: uh
8: a great book set in Mexico what's it? it called it's his best book now I'm forgetting now I haven't I happened to be at one of those little libraries and I found a um, beautiful copy of it. Yeah. God, my brain is so fried. I'm sorry, Ben. I'm completely, this is probably not very helpful for you, <laughs> but uh, a very good Sam green book that starts with a dentist in Mexico. Okay. I don't think and I've read it. It has a very kind of ordinary title. <laughs> it's really, it's, it, it's my, it's my first favorite. My second favorite is end of the affair. Yeah, but the first paper is this one, and it starts with a dentist, like a whiskey priest, yeah, and a dentist in 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 Mexico, and it's truly um, great. Okay, so I'm planning on reading that. Uh, and um, you know, I have all sorts of ambitions to read all kinds of things. Yeah, and and usually I don't do it. Um, as a, a a French writer, Pierre Michaud writes about kind of these little tiny stories about abbots in monasteries. Okay. Contem- Contemporary French. Yeah. I picked up the other day. Okay. Um, that sounds good. Yeah. So, you know, I'm kind of all over the place. Yeah. Brilliant. You know. Cool. Yeah. I'm I'm working on a book of short stories and so I'm back into my first and really only love of just short stories and so I'm reading a lot of those um uh I just today on a run I picked up I'm in Chicago and I picked up a, a, a Richard Yates collected from a little library, a book I have four copies of, but I needed that fifth one.
0: <laughs> which book is it?
8: Uh Collected Stories of Richard Yates. Oh, that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And there's a beautiful story in there called Oh Joseph, I'm so tired, which I plan on reading. Awesome. So yeah, yeah. Random and all over the place. There's a, yeah. a, a book of essays by uh, Teju uh, Cole, Cole yeah. uh, who has a new novel out too, I believe. Mm-hmm. But his essays are really good. And I just want to figure out what the name of that collection is. It's called Black Paper. Really okay. good. I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Cole's essays, Known and Strange Things, also. <laughs> it's great. I like his fiction, but I think primarily for me, it's the essays that that work the best even though the fiction is kind of an extension of the essays
0: i should let you yeah. go yeah and yeah. um
8: well, it's yeah fun, ben always
0: yeah thank and you hope, we'll have to talk more uh, often
8: yeah definitely and uh, anytime i'm here <laughs> in my unreliable way i'm here and i uh, <laughs> love to talk to you about the new book when it comes and i'll be sure and get you a copy and all that
0: awesome all right well very happy holidays and hope the new ben. year is a really good one
8: thank you very much <laughs>
3: So I don't player But I got all these
0: DVDs, so no to to Thanks so much to everyone Who appeared on The NW Special Part 2 Stay tuned for Part 3 Very soon
3: I I well, well, <laughs>